Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I was joined by Shabzi Levy, founder and CEO at Shiffle. Shiffle is reimagining freight forwarding by bringing you one piece of software that coordinates your entire global supply chain. And it's really so exciting. Shabzi and I talked about how it all works, about the importance of collaboration and visibility in supply chain, and the future of freight forwarding. It really was a fascinating episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. But if you missed it, remember that you can catch up over at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast or any other platform where you subscribe to the show. And it was episode 233. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. Throughput.ai puts industrial material flow on autopilot by leveraging existing enterprise data. Throughput's AI software predicts demand, reorients production capacity, reassigns warehouse space, and reorders materials optimally more than five times faster than leading contemporary solutions. So businesses minimize over-promising and under-delivering. Sign up for a free demo to see Throughput in action. Visit throughput.ai. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. We've got so much to share for you. So many new and exciting shows coming up for 2022 that I cannot wait to share them with you. So go and follow the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page for more because we are always making sure that we announce our new shows there. We're also letting you know when you can expect to see our new live shows based on all sorts of industry topics that you have let us know that you want to learn more about. Today, I'm excited to welcome a chief strategy officer, proven leader in analytics, supply chain, and digital transformation, and the 19th president of Informs to our Woman in Supply Chain series. Any idea who it is? Well, I'll let you know after our question of the week. So the question was a poll And we asked, the ship arrived blank, the port of Long Beach, five days ago. We gave you a couple of options. So the first one was two, and that one got 16%. The second one at 74% was at. So the ship arrived at the port of Long Beach five days ago. In was the third option with 8%. And then the rest of you had a lot to say. We got over 41 comments to this Paul Phillips says, this is a very theoretical question these days because hardly any ships really arrive there. They are anchored a few miles out. Melanie, kind of along the same line, says near the port. She would have liked to see that as an option. Um, We've also got Andrew and was stuck for two weeks. Okay, Brian Glick, you arrive at the port when you approach and drop anchor. You arrive in the port when you enter the port itself. 
And Heather says, because you had me curious, I've now researched, here's the definition according to Webster. So if you want the definition, um, go to our Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page and look for Heather's comment. It says, arrive at versus arrive to a very nerdy an an analysis. I love that. Heather Godwin, in my 20 years in logistics, I've always heard two, I think. I'm super surprised to see how many people selected at. And Fritz says it would be interesting to find out if the sentence would be the ship blank port blank Long Beach five days ago. Jeff says within five kilometers of. And Mark says trick question. There's no way it arrived. And Stuart says has the vessel birth yet. So lots of really great comments about what is happening over in the port of Long Beach, obviously with all of those vessels sitting in the port. Um, and we, you know, we thank everybody who you know, joined our poll that day and also, you know, commented on the post so we could all hear from you. We ask a question every single Wednesday morning across all of our social media. So go and check it out. And if you comment on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page, you will be featured on an upcoming episode. So now back to today's podcast and the innovative woman in supply chain I have with me today is Anne Robinson. Anne is a supply chain strategy expert who over the course of her career has worked at major names like Cisco and Verizon, as well as currently serving as the chief strategy officer at Canaxis. Anne is also a mentor at Creative Destructions Labs, a nonprofit organization that delivers an objectives-based program for scalable seed stage science and technology-based companies. Today, Anne will be talking to us about her career so far, her passion for supply chain, the power of mentors, and she'll be sharing her experiences as a woman in the industry and her words of advice for all the women following in her footsteps. But of course, we could not do this series without our sponsor. Apex Logistics are proud to sponsor Let's Talk Supply Chain's Woman in Supply Chain podcast and blog series. Our leadership team actively works to empower and industry as diverse as our workforce with a focus on inclusion and we're passionate about promoting the voices of women leaders to drive visibility around their achievements. So welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm so glad to be here. I am super excited to have you on the show because we share a lot of the same passions in our industry, like innovation, supply chain, transformation, and I think we're going to have so much to talk about. So I hope so. Yeah. So let's just dive right in. One of my favorite ways to start these interviews is really by taking it back to the beginning. Your education is in mathematics and industrial engineering. Did you always have a natural aptitude for tech and business? Take us on that journey. Tell us what that looked like. You know, if you had asked somebody who knew me when I was in high school what they expected my university career path to be, they would have said music. Oh. And uh, when I came to apply, I just shared this story with someone recently. When I came to apply for university, I actually applied to eight schools in eight different fields from political science, music, 
and including math. Now, I had always had a, a, a leaning towards mathematics. It came to me very naturally. So that uh, ultimately when the, the school fit and the, the discipline fit, it was a really good match. But uh, no, it was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit of, of finding my way as I landed on those first steps uh, for, but that started my journey, really. Amazing. And you just sort of put it out there and the universe help you choose. That's right. I went to a small liberal arts school in the eastern part of Canada. And uh, there was a, it was a small group of us and in Canada that, as you know, they, they do more of these honors programs. And in the honors math program that year, there were six of us, five of whom were women, which was really unique at the time. So I was around this incredible group of women and, and this this one one gentleman who was from Hong Kong at the time. And we're still all connected in a sort of way, and and um, so that fostered not only this passion for the discipline, but in an environment that was really supportive for having a lot of females. Um, and and uh, through that journey, you know, a lot of my peers they really wanted to be actuaries or high school teachers. And I have by happenstance landed at a conference on future career paths in mathematics. So I told them I would go and see what else was there. You know, I know what my peers want to do. And that's where I learned about the discipline of operations research, which is, as you know, really the math side of supply chain ultimately. And here was a field that allowed you to put planning together in practice in any discipline. Now I'm from Newfoundland, so the East coast of Canada and And if I learned one thing as a child that was really relevant to this background was the importance of transferable skills. Mm -hmm. So whatever you learned, you could put that into the industry that was hot at the moment. And so here is this field that could be applied to any discipline that was essentially all about planning. It was a really natural alignment for me. And I came back just hungry to learn more. And and that really was what jumpstarted the path to the career I'm on today. I love that. I'm so glad you brought up transferable skills because my friend Lisa Fenton, she talks about that for women get getting back into their career, right? So mm-hmm. you start this journey of your career, then it goes on pause maybe because you have children and then you've got to get back into the industry. And so she focuses really on transferable skills and the importance of that. So what is it that not only did you learn from school, but maybe that you learned from your time away as well that you can put back into to your career and transfer that into what you want to make out of your career. Oh yeah, it's a, it's an absolutely key point that you figure out what are those skills and make them relevant to whatever conversation you're coming to. And a mentor of mine pretty early on said, "It's important for you to be a chameleon. Always be relevant to the conversation." And by having that notion of transferable skills along with a natural curiosity, those that combination is really that allows you to walk into any room and not to be overconfident, but to be confident that you can contribute to the conversation. And that's really what's allowed me on this, this journey that, that was really in high tech and then in retail and then industrial and where I like, like that's what's allowed me to go on this journey is yeah. that notion. I love that. Always be relevant, people. You need to mark that down. You need to put it on your wall as an affirmation. I mean, if anything that you're going to take away from this conversation within the first four minutes (laughs) is always be relevant. So on that journey, you've worked for some of the biggest IT brands in the world, like Cisco, Verizon. What was your experience in those environments? 
Um, both of them were incredible. So I started my career as a, you know, I, I was in school for a very long time. So I, I started my career at Cisco as sort of a shiny new PhD, which is an interesting seat to be in because you're either considered an expert in everything or in nothing, depending <laughs> okay. on who you're speaking to, because you've been in academia for so long and there are some biases either for you or, or perhaps against you as you... And um, I was pretty unique to the organization that I was joining. I think there was one other woman who had a similar academic background to mine and coming in as a supply chain architect, um, really looking at where Cisco was in their supply chain journey and what were the next few steps. And that really gave me an opportunity to, to springboard into all the disciplines of supply chain, which I had known Theoretically, and some some work along the way. I had worked at a small startup through my my um, academic uh, journey, but really to put that into context of this major brand with so many skews and so many challenges. So I went from architecture to really helping develop a planning organization to a focus to my first real managerial role as leading a forecasting team and and uh, just the opportunity it afforded me to try things out to really hone my my management prowess and uh, I realized something while I was there if you complain about data you're going to own the data <laughs> and that's exactly <laughs> what happened so I left the planning organization to join um, the the center, the st supply chain strategy organization and business operations. And, and as I looked at this data, it's, well, it's great to have data, but that means you need to understand the measurements. And you can only define the measurements if you know the strategy. And so that was my evolution to getting more and more involved in supply chain strategy, which really took the, the next um, two, three, four years of my career at Cisco to see that blossom. Um, from there, I had an opportunity to shift coasts from the Bay Area in California to the East Coast in the U.S. And, and be part of this other type of world. And it was Verizon Wireless. So it was really heavily focused on retail. Their supply chain organization was pretty nascent at the time. They were just realizing, you know, that this was a, a tool to use to help move the business forward. Yeah. And if you think when cell phones first kind of were popular, what did you get? You got a cell phone, maybe a charger, car charger, and that was sort of it. But then it sort of turned into this mini computer with all of these associated gadgets. So they went from a supply chain of whatever, a dozen SKUs to maybe, you know, a few thousand SKUs. So to be on that journey with an organization really trying to shape their supply chain, figure out what it meant and understand how to use it to propel them forward was um, was just fascinating. I had a stint as uh, running that supply chain, that wireless supply chain for a little while. And uh, then Verizon merged with Verizon Wireless. They were actually two different companies. And we saw that uh, entire organization come together. So not only were we talking about retail, but industrial supply chains, and then the cell phone supply chain, which is really a project supply chain. So it was all kinds of different models at once. And, and having the opportunity to work with bigger and better teams in those environments was just, um, it was interesting because at the same time, and I know your listeners are aware of this, supply chain went from really being a back office function mm -hmm. to one that had was starting to be listened to by the executive peers in an organization. So yeah. I really saw that evolution happen while I was at Verizon. And, and it was good to see it happen because really the supply chain is the last touch before the customer. And that 
bringing that information to the top levels of a business can be so game changing. Oh, amazing. And what incredible experience. I mean, I speak to a lot of students that are coming out of supply chain management courses and programs. And I'm like, you need to try everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. you only know what you know now. And there's so much more that you don't know that you could get involved in. And that is part of the supply chain that you might not think is part of the supply chain. So get as much experience as you possibly can in a variety of different roles to figure out what it is that you like to do, what it is that you don't like to do. And so, you know, hearing that it in that time for you, it went from a back office to being a game changer. I mean, the motivation, the fire in your belly that came from that was just probably like, score. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty good, it's pretty good time. And really, that's what's propelled me into the seat I'm in today, quite frankly. It was, I'd always known about this, this company, um, at Canaxis at Cisco, we were actually a customer. And, but I was on the, the planning, the, the demand planning side. And at the time, they were really focused on supply planning. And so I'd always kept it in the back of my mind, this, this little Canadian company that was growing and, and maybe there'd be an opportunity. And, and um, yep. uh, serendipitously, as I was looking for a, a new adventure and they were looking for a, a, someone to come in and take on the strategy role, we had a natural handshake and it gave me a chance to come back to Canada, which is something I had 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 my eye on for some time. Though, quite frankly, Connexus is a company that I work, would have worked for regardless of where they were located on the planet. It sounds like a match made in heaven. So you're chief strategy officer at Connexus, right? Mm-hmm. And you're doing some really exciting things over there, utilizing AI to manage everyday vol- volatility and uncertainty in supply chain. And there's been a lot of that over the last two years, although I think it might be just lip service maybe in some in some respects than action. But it sounds like you guys are really putting that into action. So tell us about the company. Tell us about your role. Tell us about how you're, you're using AI. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So Canaxis, as I mentioned, is a supply chain management software vendor. So I went from being a customer to the vendor side, which is a whole other conversation we could take another another time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my role as chief strategy officer was really, and some people might think it's, it's a smallish company. Did they need this role? Well, when I started, they probably didn't. But the company has grown 100% since I've been there. We've doubled in size and and it makes more sense to have this this capability. And so my my team and I are responsible for really curating the future direction of the of the company and ensuring that we as we look forward where do we need to head. And so hand in hand with that is thought leadership and industry outreach because we truly want to be for lack of a better word sentinels for the supply chain discipline to see what okay. are those major th- things on the horizon that might be relevant to Canaxis or might be relevant to one of our customer verticals and we want to prepare them and make sure they're ready. So understanding all of our critical different industries we work with, as well as the supply chain itself, figuring out well, what's relevant for us, what's going to change our journey, maybe what, what techniques are happening out there that might be relevant in our algorithm development, like you mentioned it with AI in particular, and how do we embrace that in a way that makes sense for our what we offer, but also help our customers figure out, is it is it the right tool in the toolbox for them yes. as well? Yeah. Now, I'd say what's a little bit different. So we absolutely have the, uh, the 
latest algorithms when it comes to um, artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence, as, as some like to say, uh, and continue to, to mature algorithms so that we're getting the best plan possible and that you can actually react to the best plan should there be a disruption because the plan is only as good as the moment in which it's created. Right. But I think where we're a little bit different um, beyond the techniques that we've employed is that we really believe in the planner and that it's the human, it's the marriage of the human and the analytics and the AI that really gives you the best combination. Let's think about the last 18 months. We've had so much unpredictable behaviors happening around us that time series modeling would just fall down. Our traditional approach to supply chain is just not going to work. So when you introduce that human behavior along with the best analytics possible, that combination allows you to react and respond to the world around you to make the best decisions for your supply chain. And that's what we're trying to do is really how do we empower supply chain leaders to do the best thing for their business. Absolutely. And so what does your role look like within that? Like, what is a typical day for you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, this whole week, it's it's meeting with people like yourself and having interesting conversations uh, and really sharing you know, the, the views around supply chain because it's become such a hot topic. You can't yeah. turn on the radio or the TV without somebody complaining that they're not getting their, their couch that they ordered a year ago because of a supply chain issue. And so everybody wants to have this conversation. Why is this happening? What is going on? Um, and so I do a lot of that, right? It is to make sure that we are sharing the right ideas and helping the discipline of supply chain mature in the right path. At the same time, I work with my peers in, in the product team and our sales organization to make sure that, that we are responding to our customer requests and what they need to be able to make sure that they're prepared for the next challenges ahead. So spend a lot of time working internally. And then um, you know, we have a, a pretty large academic program that we started this past year. So we've We've managed to do some kind of guest lecture or case study, and now we have a brand new supply chain game. Um, We've met with over 2,500 students who are on their supply chain journeys at some point just to speak with them about possibilities in supply chain, a little bit about Conaxis, and a little bit about concurrent planning, which is really our approach to, to supply chain. Amazing. I mean, there's so many incredible people with incredible insights and ideas and innovation and creativity that are looking to get into our industry. And so, you know, it's great to know that we're starting to take onus on ourselves, right? Or even the organizations to be like, no, we need to nurture this. We want that talent in this industry and we need to make sure that we are intentional about the work that we're doing to make sure that that happens. So, Love, love, love to hear that. So you are also president at Informs, which is the largest professional technical society in the world for people in analytics and operations research. I was talking to Donna last month about her role on a board. What it's what is it like to both secure and carry out a role like that? I mean, the answer as I know myself is hard work. I've been on a board for the last Ooh, I think it's eight years. It might be a little bit longer than that. And one of the motivations for me to be on that board was really about the experience. And one of the things that I communicated before I went on that board was that I wanted them to um, 
give me everything that I needed to succeed on that board. A lot of times, sometimes you'll go onto a board and there's not really you know, a, a plan on how to be a good board member, right? Mm-hmm. You're just given a bunch of paperwork that you need to to read. And I was very clear that I really wanted some mentorship within that board. So what was it like for you? Do you think that in order for leaders to be at the top of their game, being a part of an industry body like that at some point during their career is a must? Yeah. So I, I've got many different, uh, different aspects of that. So let me talk about informs as an organization and, and the, the Canadian equivalent is core is the Canadian OR society, but really informs is sort of the largest one in the world. And I joined informs as a student and then as a okay. junior practitioner of supply chain and supply chain analytics, really. And through that organization, I met people on possible career paths on a, you know different stages in their journey of a career path I would like to have. Right. And it was important to me at the time. I think it's more important now than ever before for people to join these professional organizations, particularly when they're junior in their career, because um, trends are showing us people stay, what, three to five years at an organization. They don't stay. They aren't lifers at companies anymore. That's not right. the trend. So you don't have that person you met when you were 22 or 24 who's still there when you're 35 and helping you get to the next step. Right. Um, where that continuity can come from is by meeting people and creating a mm-hmm. network in a professional society because the, they the, uh, they are often from the same background as you and can help guide you along the way. And that's exactly what I did. So I learned from people around me. I learned how to be a manager. How do you manage analytic talent? How do you I, – I didn't, right. didn't know. And I learned from people there who said, you know, they need these skills, but at the same time you want to – back off and and allow people to grow on their own so that they can, and learning all of those skills was so important for me to develop, not only as a, as a, in my, my work path, but also just interacting as I, as I kind of matured along my own career path. So when the opportunity came to, to run for the board, I actually ran under uh, marketing and communications, which was not what I was doing at all in my day job, but Again, it was a community of heavy math-based people, and I probably looked a lot more like that role than others. And and so I worked, I, I did what you did. I learned from others. I put together a plan. I, I, you know, I ran on this platform and was elected. And I said, and never in my career would I have likely sat in a marketing and communications type right. of role. And uh, during those four years, it was a great time to see a shift in um, really, that's when the book Competing on Analytics came out. I don't know if you remember that. It might have been before your time. But uh, the Competing on Analytics book came out, and all of a sudden, oops, everybody wanted to learn about what is this thing and how can I improve right. my business. And so we were really a community of analytics practitioners who hadn't embraced the word analytics. Right. So I had the opportunity, I was again presented with the opportunity to run for president of the organization and I ran on that as a platform. Are we ready as an organization to embrace what the world is effectively handing us? And as you know, yes, they did. And it was a, this amazing transformation to be with a group of 10,000 people. I was significantly younger than I am now. And to see this journey around embracing such a shift. This was invaluable for me as 
um, as I continued on my, my, my day job, so to speak, learning about change management, learning how to deal in a, in a mostly volunteer not-for-profit sense really teaches you to be a good team member. Right. And being a leader, being you know, younger than my counterparts and being able, still able to lead, that was, those were important skills to learn and uh, certainly helped propel me along the way. Now, perhaps different than the board that you're on, I don't know which that is, is this was extremely relevant to my day job. So as much hard work as it was, it was very relevant to what I was doing in the day-to-day. And as a result, there was a pretty natural handshake and a very supportive work environment that allowed me to spend, you're right, it takes a lot of time and it's a lot of work, but it was worth every minute of it. Yeah, my experience is quite similar. We've got an amazing board and they have been extremely supportive. Um, And, you know, I've learned a lot And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you're talking about two different roles within an association, right? As a member and then as a board member. And I think if you're a member being intentional about what you're looking to get from the association and getting involved when they ask for feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's really how any organization can really grow is, is from the intentionality and the participation of the members. And then, you know, when those spots open up, Really, you know, raising your hand and saying, yeah, you know what, this is really relevant. I am really passionate about this and I want to be able to contribute. And like you said, you don't have to fit that particular mold in that particular role. You just need to be willing to, um, you know, put in the work and be part of a team that's really going to help propel um, an organization like that forward. And, you know, you're also a mentor from from some of the research, research that I've done. I talk a lot about mentors on the show because especially for women and other underrepresented or minority groups, they can really help to open up careers. So tell us about Creative Destruction Lab. What made you want to become a me- mentor? And did you have someone during the course of your own career that maybe helped and inspired you? Uh, so I, I'm a big believer in mentors as well and, and having a network of people. There's never going to be one person to be right. the mentor for you, right? A network yeah. of people around you who can help you grow different aspects of, of yourself or your career. Um, CDL is a little different. It's the best name ever, right? Creative Destruction Lab. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's an organization that actually fosters startups. Okay. And there are eight to 10 locations around the world. I'm part of the one out of Montreal, which is the supply chain stream for CDL. And as part of this, they, they um, bring in multiple different startup organizations. And through a process of reviewing that startup, um, you can raise your hand and say, I'd be willing to invest time between now and the next meeting to help this startup mature their direction that they're they're trying to go in and they're generally they're not fresh out of the gate startups they usually have some money and some and the, and the product behind them or, or technology behind them and they're really looking to to excel so it's been an amazing experience talk about so there's a flip side to mentoring right and it's reverse mentoring mm-hmm. and the reverse mentoring is when you learn from those around you who might be more junior or different space. And yes, as much as I spend time talking to them about the applicability of what they're doing in maybe the worlds that I've experienced, I also love learning from them, right? What are you doing? How are you approaching it? What technologies are you using? And that is one of the the best ways to keep yourself relevant, going back to our initial topic, Mm -hmm. but also helps stay engaged, 
And, and it doesn't have to be a startup. It can be your intern. Yeah. If you want to learn the latest happenings in supply chain science, get a brand new, you know, fourth year undergraduate student studying supply chain and ask what they're learning. And it is fascinating. And it's a great way to make sure that you can first continue to, to have conversations with a different generation of, of person and at the same time, stay current on the lingo, the technologies, the techniques. Um, really important. Yeah, no, it's so true. Now, I, I have to ask you because I get asked a lot to mentor. And I, you know, I I want to make sure that the ment- mentee is engaged. That's really, really important for me because if mm-hmm. I'm going to put the m- amount of time in that I, that I need to put in, whether it's an hour or so, I need to also make sure that they're going to be engaged and they're, they're going to want to take that and maybe even turn it into action for themselves. So what do you expect from like a mentee mentor relationship for those out there that are like, I really want to mentor. I want to reach out to somebody, but it's not just about reaching out. No, I, I, so I, similar to you have an expectation that it's on the mentee themselves, right? They need to drive the conversation. They need to be able to put forth what their expectations are for that relationship just blindly asking someone to be your mentor. I mean, you can have some wonderful conversations, but it's probably not going to help you grow in the way that you would like to. So by really understanding what is it that dimension of that person that you think is going to help mentor you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it their leadership? Is it their communication? Is it their knowledge base? Is it, you know, what is it? And be able to describe that so that you can, actually get on a path to learning that skill. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's interested in mentorship, I'd say, you know, that that's the biggest thing. Don't just raise your hand and say, I want a mentor, but I would like for you to be my mentor because I'd like to learn how you approach yeah. you know, dynamic leadership environment and, and set it up and, and set some goals for yourself with that person. And, and that's going to that's gonna show that you're really committed to the conversation because you're right. It does take a lot of time and uh, it, it does take a lot of, of energy on, on the mentor's behalf. Now, I had an amazing mentee last year. We have a company um, organized mentor mentee program. And uh, uh, I was fortunate to be uh, assigned to somebody who was just was so thrilled with the relationship. And he showed up every time with. Good. ideas and questions and he would send me articles to read and say what about this and what about that and <laughs> and that. Uh, you know I felt good about it and I would put in the time because he was so engaged in the dynamic with me and yeah. that was you know and, and yeah. he's been promoted and he's doing fantastically nice. and yeah. nice yeah sometimes I'll give a little task to see whether they do it or not, because if they don't do it, then, you know, they have to be able to take action. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes I do it that way. So on the Woman in Supply Chain series, we try to focus very much on career achievements and shy away from talking too much about family, because let's face it, it's not really a question that men are getting, right? But on your LinkedIn profile, you're very proud. Your bio is CSO, leader, president, mom. And I love that because it does show women that, yes, if you want, you can have both. So how has the experience of balancing motherhood and a very successful career been for you? Uh, it's a great question. And you're absolutely right. Nobody would ever ask a man this question. Right. So I, I can appreciate that comment. 
Um, I'm the only parent of a very charming, delightful four-year-old and, and, uh, she fills my, my days and nights and, uh, um, and we have a great time. Um, I'd say mostly, you know, mostly it's been fantastic. The one thing I would say is a challenge as a female, um, have after having a child or adopting a child, um, the lead up to going on to maternity leave is whatever. If you had to leave an emergency situation, no one's going to bat an eye. They, they understand the dynamic. It's when you come back and I was just trying to keep my child alive. I, uh, and you're, you're working in an environment that people are happy to see you, but you don't look different than anybody right. else. And so I think a lot of people forget, and let's say perhaps our male counterparts um, forget, that you're not, you're not in the same circumstances where you were before. And right. so I found it most challenging going back to work than um, actually preparing to go on maternity leave. And I, I don't think we talk about that side of it enough. Uh, working mother magazine and these things, they really look at maternity benefits and, and that prep leading to going out on maternity leave. It's, I, I think the harder part was coming back and coming back to a similar role, but I'd been away. You know, I was living in the U S so it was six months. I was out of my job. And, and um, so that was a challenge. Um, now, you know, I'm a, I'm a, being it's just her and I, it can be challenging at times, but uh, I'm in a, in a company that is extremely supportive, that believes in the family, and, uh, and with a, a with policies that are very supportive for parents and having to work in the way that will make you successful. That is awesome to hear. And you've just really given me an idea for the blended podcast series in that in 2022, we'll look at doing an episode, I think, on on motherhood and the workplace. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, I think it's really important that we focus on that transition back into the work environment. And so people can hear about it, not only so that we can support each other in that, but also for people that you're working with, like you said, that don't see a difference but there definitely is a difference in a variety of different ways. Yes. Great. So on your journey so far, what have you learned about yourself and what does the future hold for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and I saw the question there and I, I probably should have prepared more for it. Um, you know, I, I really love being on the leading edge of technology and of ideas and learning about what's coming next. Like that really does fuel me. And uh, so it's been a privilege to be with Canaxis, who is really open to exploring, to challenging, and to, to changing the industry, quite frankly. And, and so that's, that's something that really keeps me, um, keeps me going, gets me out of bed in the morning, and uh, maybe keeps me up at night thinking about <laughs> new things and ideas. So it's, uh, and, and I love, you know, I, through my career, I realized I really love being a people leader. It's something that... I started quite young in my career and I've continued to, and, and it's, it's great to be around people who are smarter than you, who know different dimensions of the universe than you do. And, and being able to put that all together to be successful in your role is, is, um, it's really an amazing, uh, amazing privilege actually with the people that, that you work with. 
Awesome. I love to hear that. And so finally then, what advice do you have for girls and women looking to follow in your footsteps? Or maybe it's some advice for them. And maybe it's also some advice for, for some leaders in the industry too. You know what? I was thinking, I was did think about this one. And one is mid-career women, or let's say anybody who might classify in a diversity category, accept the invitations to do things like this. Because I really believe you, you can't be what you can't see. And so yeah. if you are in a role that somehow makes you a little bit unique, get out there, have a conversation. Let somebody, let that 18-year-old see you in that role so now they know it's possible. Because yeah. we forget that sometimes. I was speaking with somebody, um, my team recently, who falls into a different one of the DEI categories. And I was saying to him, you know, it's great that you're pursuing these things in your in your um you know, outside of work as a volunteer, but why not do it with the work label so that those kids can see that you are in this seat today as this engineer? And and he was like, yeah, I never really thought of it like that. So mid-career people, get out there, speak, meet, just put your voice out there. It really does make a difference. And for those starting up, don't fret too much about the long game, right? Look at what's going to make you happiest in the, you know, I don't say do knee-jerk reactions, but in the short term, because so many things change and your career path will ebb and flow. Just be curious, have transferable skills, keep yourself relevant, and you'll find that you have a really exciting journey um, ahead of you. And uh, and so many, so many possibilities that we can't even think about uh, await you as you, as you go down that path. Absolutely amazing advice. It is a journey, not a destination. We all think that it's a destination, but it's really the fun is in that journey. So supply chain transformation is the definition of playing the long game, but you have <laughs> dived so deep. You've brought strategy, analytics, and collaboration to the table. You've showed incredible focus on driving the industry into the future with such a clear passion, and you've done it all whilst being a mom and an all-around amazing woman. So so I think there are going to be a lot of people listening who have been really inspired by you today. So thank you so much, Anne, for coming and joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a wonderful conversation. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you would like to hear more from us here at Let's Talk Supply Chain, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. We also have a category filter because if you're having a challenge in supply chain, we have most likely had the solution on our show. And so you can use that category filter to take a look at the... Um, 
companies who have been on the show and how they can help you. And remember to come back next week when we'll be talking to Chris and Cortland from Forkites. They are going to tell me all about the company, what they do, the importance of collaboration and visibility in supply chain, and why we all need to be committing to sustainability. You absolutely don't want to miss it. If you enjoy our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're also on TikTok and Clubhouse. You can subscribe to our newsletter at letstalksupplychain.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Let's Talk Supply Chain, and you can get caught up on all of our live shows right there as well. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. Or if you DM Let's Talk Supply Chain, talk one. So T-A-L-K with the number one to our Instagram, you can get our supply chain dictionary for free. And remember, if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and we will feature you. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.